the bottom line in business. Voice America Business. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ken Fisher, uh, who is the chairman and CEO of Fisher Investments, uh, which is a global money management firm uh, currently managing about $45 billion in assets. Welcome to the show, Ken. Glad to be with you, Jordan. Thanks for having me. We'll be talking about uh, the new book you've just come out with called The Ten Roads to Riches, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Uh, before we get to that, I just want to get your general sense of the investing environment we're in today. We've got a, a new president just been elected here. Uh, investors have taken some pretty big hits to their portfolio. Uh, what is your general outlook of, of the investing environment going forward for next year or so? You know, I think this falls into the category, Jordan, of it's always different, it's always the same. In history, going back through the 19th century, we've had lots of big bear markets, and the big ones and the famous ones have always been followed by big bull markets. Uh, almost always, not always, uh, the amount of time it takes you to get to the bottom is about the amount of time it takes you to get back up to where you were before, and three years after that, people are off, uh, kind of fighting off the next war. Uh, the nature of our world is that we tend to have these problems be less as we move forward than we fear they might be. So, for example, today people fear all the headlines, that there's a tremendous amount of fear, but people forget that uh, this recession is maybe nothing like the 1982 recession where unemployment was well over 10%, or even recessions of 1974-5 or ones in the early 1950s uh, that were over 8%. The fact is, this is a tough time, but also tough times are not all that unusual in history, and our society, both in America and globally, has a tremendous ability to be resilient and to move past them, and we'll look back at this time three, four years from now and think, yeah, that was tough, but oh, by the way, and then we have to move our feet and move forward, and, and that's the part I think that people kind of miss today. There, There's a a little bit too much of a tendency to be too myopic, too focused on the here and now, and not thinking about where am I going to be postured three, four, five years from now when we're off in the next phase of the world. So, in fact, you're saying it's it's kind of over, all the gloom and pessimism is overblown, con considering what the situation is today. The gloom and pessimism is very normal for a time like this. That is, it is normal at a time like this to think it's the worst ever, that it's never going to be good again, that uh, it's different and permanently different, but it never really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, in your book, you talk about the 10 different roads uh, to becoming wealthy and be successful. Uh, before we get into the individual roads, why don't you just kind of talk about the mindset that one needs in taking any of these roads, uh, in, in thinking that there are possibilities for doing well, uh, that success is possible, where a lot of people are kind of in, in hunkered down and, as we said, gloomy and pessimistic uh, mindset right now. Well, Stepping back for a moment, if you think about a road, most roads are fairly long, and for the most part, most of the time to get where we're going to, we don't turn down a road and expect to turn in two houses later. We get on the road and we expect to go for a while. So what people who have been successful in these varying ways have all had in common is they've seen this as 
a longer-term direction in their life. They're not looking to get rich in three months. They're looking for a way to do well over 5, 10, 15 years, maybe a whole lifetime. But it's a longer-term approach, so it requires some vision. One of the problems and one of the reasons that I wrote the book is because while not everybody in the world can get rich, a great many more can get rich than think they can. Their problem is they just have never really kind of seen a smorgasbord-like landscape of the different ways people have done it, what has required in this area, not required, how they're different, and then they can look at themselves and say, where do I fit in? And, yeah, I could do that, couldn't I? I couldn't do that, but I could do that. And so really the the real part is figuring out who you are and understanding what's necessary on these roads so that as you understand them, you can project yourself down the road with a fairly long-term vision, which again gets you past kind of the myopia of today and the fear about the here and now. People that have been successful on all of these roads have done them through multiple recessions, multiple bad times. Um, Many of them have actually launched what they've done in bad times because they didn't have anything better to do in that environment. One of the things I think is tremendously interesting in a world that's seen lots of layoffs, lots of people getting dislocated from their positions, is that's a great time to reassess your position today and say, where do I want to be five and ten years from now? And maybe I don't want to do the same types of things I was doing before. So you're really saying there's an opportunity to take other directions. Most people kind of get stuck in their particular areas and saying that's the only thing they can do, and they really don't see all the other possibilities. Dislocation is always an opportunity. The fact is the rest of everyone's life is up to them, and they can choose it to be what they want it to be, and simply what most people need is a greater sense of what's the menu option open and available to them. Yeah. All right, well, let's start off with the first road, which is, you say, the richest road, uh, which is basically uh, forming a business and, and becoming a certainly multimillionaire, potentially multi-billionaire uh, at that. What, what are some of the things that people need to know about starting a business, particularly in today's environment? One of the things that's, that's critical is that, as I describe in the chapter, founder CEOs, and this, make no mistake about it, is the richest road. This is the road of Bill Gates. This is the road of most of the 20 wealthiest people in America and the 20th wealth, 20 wealthiest people in the world. These people, to begin with, above and beyond all else, are quitters. And, and this is a point that's really hard for most people to get. First, they dropped out of whatever they were doing somehow. They stopped and said, what do I want to do with my life? They move forward in a way that I describe, which is they get out of their shell, which is hard for most people to do, and they get out in the world and they talk to customers. They've got some idea. They go out and they embrace people, talk to them. But as soon as they can get a little bit of interest, they do what I refer to as quitting. Some people refer to as delegating, and they delegate as much as they can, as fast as they can, as hard as they can, while maintaining the vision of where they're trying to get to. Now, one of the beauties of this road, and again, this is the richest road. This is the road of Sam Walton once took. I mean, when you look at people that are the mega successes in life, they went this road. But also, you don't have to try to be a mega success to go down this road, because you can start a little business, have your own independence, paddle your own canoe, to some extent control your own destiny. You can actually do it on a bootstrap without actually having to have capital. You can actually get your customers to fund you if you do it right. 
And then the outcome of all of this is you actually know in not very long if it's succeeding. If it's not succeeding, pack it in, and you can go start another one. Many of the great successes in life have started a business, failed, started another business, succeeded, started the second business, failed, then started the third business. And that notion of being the serial entrepreneur is something that most people haven't thought of because to most people the notion of failing is terrible. But failing is actually okay because it's a great learning experience and you can go on and do it again. The beauty of the, of the richest road to being the founder CEO is the limitations are all up to you. This is a perfect opportunity for someone, for example, who's recently lost their job to instead of trying to get another job saying, I'm never going to have another job the rest of my life. I'm going to be a founder. So what would be some areas, uh, say people have some good skills, say they were you know, in a manufacturing plant or even a white-collar worker in research or whatever it may be, H- how would they take their skills uh, from being a corporate employee to becoming a business owner, a business starter, an entrepreneur? That's kind of a different mindset, isn't it? Well, again, one of the things that I, it, it's absolutely a different mindset, and it requires making this decision, I'm a quitter. I mean, I'm, I'm going to quit looking for a job. I'm never going to do that again. I'm on my own now. Now, one of the things that I talk about is first create what I refer to as a quiet space. And this is the place that you retreat to periodically. It's what eventually you hope expands and goes through multiple iterations and becomes your global headquarters. But initially, my point is, note, it's quiet. There's nothing going on there. As one of my early mentors when I was young said, the problems are all in here. The opportunities are out there. And when Gene Watson told me that, he was one of the serial entrepreneur founder visionaries of the laser industry. Uh, when he told me that, it dawned on me, you know, the opportunities are all out there. So then you get your little briefcase, you put a laptop in it, you put a series of books that I give you to read in it. The purpose of the books is you can't be doing work all the time, so in between uh, you know, making appointments and talking to people, you uh, will read the books, which keep you energized on entrepreneurialism. And then you get out and you identify not the 10 most important customers you might look at, but maybe the next 20 or 30. Maybe you don't even have an idea of exactly what you're supposed to do. They'll tell you, because they'll tell you the problems that you need to overcome for them that are valuable to them. This is really hard, so let's think about this another way. One way someone can do this just very simply, is to take a field that's well-established and put a new twist on it that improves it. That's been done so many times in life. I mean, that's Phil Knight at Nike. Make a cheap, great shoe. In that regard, take over the world. Try to do what, what, what Nike, uh, Phil Knight did with Nike is try to do to expensive European athletic shoes what Japan had been doing to all of American enterprise, but in the shoe world. The fact is that that improvement in and of itself can make you anything from a little rich to very rich. The other is the radical idea. Radical ideas are harder because you've got to actually be a missionary, and doing missionary sales is tougher, but missionary sales are also huge, and that's more down the path of a Bill Gates. Um, Finally, as I said, you don't have to be a revolutionary, and you don't have to change the world. You can let the customers lead you, and you just have them tell you what you want to do. This could be anything from the kinds of things I just mentioned to um, there's been a great number of areas over the years where somebody figures out 
how to consolidate and roll up an area that had otherwise been very widely dispersed. So an example that I give is so far, you don't really see, for example, national laundry chains. Uh, laundry, uh, dry cleaners, dry yeah. cleaners tend to be very, or laundromats tend to be very localized. Mm-hmm. Anytime you can take an area like that and go and figure out the twist that makes people want to actually trust in a brand, and the key there is the brand, and you can roll it out nationally, um, maybe as a roll-up um, done through acquisitions, maybe actually just by starting operations. The opportunities for that are huge, and in a sense, you know, if you stop and think about it, that's very much what at one generation Sears Roebuck did, and then a couple of decades, a couple of generations later, what Walmart did. The notion of being able to take that little function and think big about it is um, very, very hard for people to actually get in their brain. But once you see examples, as I list out in uh, my book of many, many people who've done it, suddenly it becomes more explicable. If you just think about the number of people that have made what to most people are very large amounts of money, like 20 or $30 million, I'm through the book regularly showing people who've made billions. But I also use examples of people who've made 10, 20, 30 million. This is an area where just come up with a little idea like a new fast food franchise, and it's not that hard to get there. Indeed. Okay, I'm speaking with Ken Fisher, who's written a new book called The Ten Roads to Riches, uh, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Uh, Ken is chairman and CEO of Fisher Investments, uh, which is a money management firm managing currently about $45 billion in assets. And we'll be back after this. Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. What can you tell me about Skills USA? Skills USA teaches you employability skills. So you know how to deal with people, you have teamwork, your resume is going to look awesome. Well, it's important to know your technical skills, but not only that, to have soft skills, the skills of learning how to communicate with people. On the web at skillsusa.org. Why is Pepsi cooler than Coke? Why are iPods so popular? In 2005, how can you launch a successful brand? Want to know? Learn about the fascinating and intriguing world of graphic design and branding on Design Matters with Debbie Millman. Every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time, Debbie Millman will provide you with a provocative look into the stimulating world of design as it intersects with contemporary culture. Hear what the experts have to say about creating, maintaining, and launching a brand in today's challenging marketplace. Join us every Friday at 12 Pacific Standard Time for Design Matters with Debbie Millman, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. 
Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ken Fisher, uh, who is the uh, chairman and CEO of Fisher Investments, a money management firm currently managing about $45 billion in assets. His new book is called The Ten Roads to Riches, uh, the Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Uh, welcome back to the show, Ken. Thanks for having me, Jordan. It's fun. Uh, tell us uh, the websites so that people can find out more about the book before we go further. Uh, well, f- first, you can do this multiple ways. You could go uh, either to the John Wiley website, uh, which uh, is, again, John Wiley is a publicly traded company and the uh, publisher of the uh, book. You could go to my firm's website, which is uh, www.fi, as in France, Italy.com, uh, or you can uh, just simply go to 10 Roads to Riches, uh, com, which uh, is the dedicated site to the book itself, uh, 10 Roads to Riches.com. So those are all different ways to uh, get there. I, I might mention, if I may, that uh, last week the uh, book made the Wall Street Journal business bestseller list for the first time, uh, having only been out three weeks. And I've been notified that this Sunday it will make the New York Times bestseller list, which is, uh, for me, actually um, very gratifying that it's being so well-received so quickly. It's terrific. It's helping a lot of people when they really need the help here. Okay, your second chapter is called, Pardon Me, That's My Throne, uh, and you're talking about ways that people can either rise within a company or uh, jump from one company to another. Now, a lot of people are in flux these days because they're being uh, laid off or their companies are downsizing. How can you kind of take that advice and apply it in in today's uh, economic environment? Well, Jordan, I think your point that a lot of people are uh, being dislocated uh, and feeling angst from all of this is an understatement. And one of the problems that I think people tend to have at a time where they feel that angst is they tend to see themselves as wanting to get back to where they were instead of wanting to get to uh, maybe new and different, better future. One of the things that a lot of people can do, and you know, there's been layoffs going in all different kinds of fields, and and we all know that and see that in the newspapers all over, is they can sit there and look for, and and I go through this step by step, they can look for troubled little companies, and they can apply for literally the position of CEO. In the book, I show you exactly how to do this. Uh, It's simple to learn how to build an adequate resume, and what you want to do is keep applying as a CEO 
for a trouble company, even if they're just looking for a temporary interim one. Anything that gets you in the door as a boss. And I talk about my own experience doing this decades ago, where I was involved with a venture capital deal that went sour, and I was on the periphery of the company, and they needed a temporary interim CEO while they found a permanent one through uh, an executive search firm. I applied and for the position. I knew it was only temporary, but it actually got me, and there's 30 people in the firm, it wasn't a big firm, it got me the opportunity to actually be a CEO. Now, the fact of the matter is being a CEO is a lot simpler than most people think it is because, uh, like a lot of life, uh, like something Yogi Berra might say, 80% of it is just showing up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact is the most important thing a CEO can do is manage by wandering around, talk to his people, give them his or her time, show them that he or she is interested in them, committed to what they're doing, wants to support them. The power of that, which I actually learned in that first CEO position I described a minute ago, is something that is nearly infinite, and actually most CEOs don't do. Most CEOs like to kind of hide in the corner office. But if you can get out and do that, people have much more faith in you. They do better. As they do better, the firm does better, and suddenly you're a successful CEO. That process is one that's hard for people to believe in, but the chapter actually will take you through that and convince you that this is something that many more people can do. It's really all about attitude, and it's all about giving of yourself and giving your time to your people. But you start off in one place where you're CEO of a 30-person firm, then you help them out for two years, you leapfrog to another firm that has 60 people, then you leapfrog from that to another, and I take you through the process of how you move from being CEO of one org to a bigger, to a bigger, to a bigger. Now, the other approach that's tougher for people, I think, right now to do and tougher for people right now to believe in because of all the layoffs and the downsizing, is to rise up through the ranks in an organization. This literally gets us to my chapter three, which is the concept that I refer to as ride-alongs. Mm-hmm. Ride-along is somebody who makes himself in an organization the guy that's indispensable to somebody else who's going to pull you up with them. And a lot of our most famous people in business have actually been ride-alongs. For example, on the one hand, Steve Ballmer, the CEO of Microsoft, was a longtime Bill Gates ride-along, the guy that Bill Gates would trust in a bar fight with his back to him. Yeah. Another that uh, is perfectly obvious to everyone, never becomes CEO, but this is Charlie Munger, who has been more, uh, Warren Buffett's ride-along nearly forever. The notion of the ride-along is not that you're the visionary, not that you're the guy that where the buck stops, not that you're the guy that takes the flack, but that you're the guy that's indispensable to someone who you believe has those qualities. And so in every organization, you can sit there if you're in the organization and see the guy that you think is the the shining star, the leading light, the guy that really has the stuff you don't have, and then you figure out how to make yourself. I'm not talking about being a toady. I'm not talking about being... Uh, you know, what you could think of in the old vernacular as a manservant. I'm talking about being the person that that person finds as indispensable, and when they say, I need it done, you're often doing it before they've even finished the sentence. This, this part is actually a great way to be protected in a downturn because ride-alongs never get let go. Ride-alongs you're indispensable. never get cut off. You're making ride-alongs yourself... are, are the person that the leading light depends on and needs 
so they can be the leading light. You know, there's the there's the person that's running down the court. The ball's going to come to them. They're going to make that in, in basketball that you know long jump shot, and they're going to either succeed, succeed or fail, and the crowd's going to roar or howl. That's not the ride along. The ride along is the guy who shoots in the ball. Yeah. Who's indispensable in serving him in a certain way, but then he shares in the glory to some extent, you're saying. He shares in the glory because he's on the winning team, and that guy who's the leading light will never, ever want him gone. Uh, He's indispensable. So this is both job protection, but also that leading light makes sure you make lots of money because the leading light doesn't want you to go off someplace else where you could be the leading light elsewhere. The the history of ride-alongs is they actually get a more real life, for example, than a CEO gets. The CEO is a guy who, you know, gets all glory, but also when things go bad, he goes from hero to zero instantly. Uh, the CEO is where the flack is. If you think of history and you look at the top uh, 10 paid CEOs uh, in a given year, and I give you examples of this in the book, um, pretty often the next year, three-quarters of them are just gone because they were getting paid a lot to take a lot of career risk that didn't work out well, and they got blown, and nobody's going to ever hire them again to be CEOs for anything. But the ride-along, the ride-along doesn't suffer that fate. The ride-along is the indispensable guy. Yes, okay. All right, we should go on to the next chapter. I want to get to most of them here. Um, Again, I'm speaking with uh, Ken Fisher, whose new book is called The Ten Roads to Riches. We've covered three of them so far. The fourth uh, chapter is kind of the opposite. If the ride-along is kind of uh, under the radar and not seen that well, uh, the fourth chapter is the opposite. These are the rich and famous um, who kind of make money by their celebrity. Uh, Yes, and and there's two ways to see this. I mean, there's the one which is people who use celebrity to make money, and then people use money to make celebrity, which again makes money. And the, the fact of the matter is there's both kinds that exist in the world. So if you're somebody who's not famous now, uh, but maybe you have some kind of a skill, what is the procedure in becoming famous and rich as, be- as you become famous? Well, almost every one of these people that does exactly what you said is some little form of an entrepreneur. This is the extreme version of entrepreneurialism. Now, l- let's just kind of go through some examples. On the one hand... One form of the celebrity is the person that everyone knows. It's the movie star. It's the sports star. Uh, These people, unlike someone who's going to manufacture themselves into this position, are almost invariably people who started down the attempt at their line of endeavor very, very young. And I go through myriad examples showing you how young uh, someone like Cameron Diaz was or... Uh, Justin Timberlake or Madonna when they start trying to or an athlete particularly I mean athletes more or less you know Tiger Woods starts uh, playing golf as a a little 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 kid but on the other hand you get these people like rapper Jay-Z who's made a huge fortune for himself he's worth much more than Madonna except when you look at people like that they weren't that they're not really the celebrity because of the immense success of their music they're celebrities because of the immense uh, success of a little enterprise they built around them. And so in that regard, the key to being the celebrity that's self-made is actually thinking like an entrepreneur. Now, there's one more slice of this celebrity, which is the media mogul. And media moguls, 
uh, invariably build a media business, and then they use that to generate fame, and then the fame comes back to also provide them still more access uh, to wealth. So the media mogul people include, for example, Michael Bloomberg, who's the mayor of New York. He builds up Bloomberg, and then he goes off to do his mayoral thing, which makes him nationally famous. Or the Rupert Murdochs, David Geffen's, uh, the Sumner Redstones. But celebrity is something that in and of itself has some value. Indeed. Okay, so we've covered the, the first four chapters of um, the Ten Roads to Riches. We'll, we'll cover the rest of them when we come back. Again, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show, and my guest this hour is Ken Fisher of um, Fisher Investments. Uh, we're, we're traveling to our road to riches, uh, and we'll be back after this. Line in Business, Voice America Business. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit. And grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Grow Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Bottom Line in Business Talk, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. America is facing a skilled workforce shortage. SkillsUSA can help. What is SkillsUSA? SkillsUSA is life-changing. SkillsUSA is awesome. SkillsUSA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. SkillsUSA is amazing. SkillsUSA is motivating. SkillsUSA specifically prepares you for the workforce. SkillsUSA empowers students to connect with a network of people, starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other people in their state. SkillsUSA allows students to connect with business and industry, to manage their education, and to really get a feel of the real world. I'm doing something now that's going to be applicable in the real world, and those skills are going to be useful today in school and in five years when I'm working and for the rest of my life. On the web at SkillsUSA.org. Internet's only all business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. You've been listening to the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ken Fisher 
who's the chairman and CEO of Fisher Investments. Uh, his new book is called uh, The Ten Roads to Riches, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Uh, welcome back to the show, Ken. Uh, it's fun being with you, Jordan. All right, we're on to number five here, which is how to marry well, uh, really well. And uh, that sounds like a way to become rich instantly. But what are the pitfalls of, of marrying well uh, to become rich? Well, mind you, the, the key is not to become rich. The key is to marry well as opposed to to marry rich. But as I say in the introduction to the chapter, uh, you asked the question, was Marilyn Monroe right when she said, and gentlemen prefer blondes, don't you know that a man being rich is like a girl being pretty? You wouldn't marry a girl just because she's pretty, but my goodness, doesn't it help? Right. The fact of the matter is that there are actually enough wealthy people, men and women in the world, that you can actually go through a methodology to define how to put yourself in a universe where you will meet single wealthy people and then among that, because the menu is big enough, eventually find someone that you are attracted to and they're attracted to you. And the history of people who've tried to marry for money is actually not very pretty because money tends to be divisive in those ways. But the people who've actually married for love among the wealthy actually have done very, very well. And when we think about it, which we often don't, uh, this includes both uh, one of the two national presidential candidates from this year, as well as from four years ago, Mr. McCain this time, marrying Cindy McCain, having a happy long-term marriage. And in the same regard, John Kerry, from four years ago, marrying Teresa Hines of the Hines Catchup Fortune, uh, which, oh, by the way, she married well until her former husband passed away. Mm -hmm. But the, the ability to marry well is a process, and the process really involves you figuring out where do you go where there are lots of wealthy people and putting yourself not just geographically but sociologically into the world that they live in. And so I give you lots of specific examples of how to do that in the book. And then uh, you just meet people and you let nature take its course. But marrying someone that you love and loves you that has money beats the heck out of marrying someone who... Uh, you may love but is committed to poverty if you don't want poverty yourself. I'm not opposed to poverty if that's a desire that someone has, but if someone has a desire for poverty, they're probably not reading the book, The Ten Roads to Riches. <laughs> probably for sure. Um, what are some of the states that you're supposed to be hanging around with that, that are some of the best places to find uh, richer Americans? Well, you can think about this um, in a couple of ways. W one of them is just to think about uh, the likelihoods and the likelihoods um, actually are best in the places that have a high ratio of wealthy people per capita. So these are actually places like, on the one hand, Wyoming, on the other hand, uh, New York and Washington, D.C. and California. But even in people don't think about this, places like uh, Montana and Nebraska all have many more uh, wealthy per capita than states that otherwise may seem appealing but don't have so many wealthy or almost none at all in the very wealthy category like Hawaii, Iowa, Kentucky, Maine, New Mexico, North Dakota, uh, South Dakota, West Virginia. In, in the book, I take you through state-by-state state, uh, kind of wealth per capita, and you really want to focus on those states where there are people that are wealthy in volume because that's where you put yourself in their midst. Um, in terms of pitfalls, um, you know, there's you, you mentioned pitfalls. One of the really yes. important things is not to do a lot of unnatural acts. This is the part where uh, you marry somebody 
way younger than you are. You marry someone that's uh, basically opposed to everything you believe in. I give an example of a of an older uh, woman whose uh, husband passed away. She's got the money from his life. Uh, she marries a cowboy uh, 30 years her junior. Uh, she may be in love with him, but when they found her floating in a lake, uh, the relatives all believed he killed her. The fact of the matter is he got away with it, whether he killed her or not, and you know he walks away with money. Mm-hmm. The, our Smith. It really is marrying well. It's not marrying rich. Anna Nicole Smith is certainly another example you talk about here as well. Uh, it, you know, in the book, I actually prefer the ones that aren't quite famous because the ones that are famous, I mean, if you want to read about Anna Nicole Smith, you can do that pretty much anywhere. But you're absolutely right, Jordan. She's a perfect example of um, she marries for money, and from then after, she's also, of course, trying to be a celebrity at the same time, but she doesn't actually have a skill. And the, the rest of her life becomes actually pretty miserable and leaves a lot of misery in its wake. Yes, indeed. Okay. All right, well, let's move on to Chapter 6, uh, which is uh, Steal It Like a Pirate, but Legally. And, and what do you mean by how, how can you steal your way to riches legally? The uh, Most of the world that becomes wealthy gets wealthy through voluntary cooperation in some regard. Start a company, get paid for being a CEO, many of the other examples that I give uh, later in the book. Uh, this is one where you rip it off of people, and the way we rip people off legally in our society is through plaintiff's law. And I take you through the process of what it takes to be a plaintiff's lawyer, which amazingly doesn't require going to law school. Uh, It does require passing the bar in most places. Um, And the fact is there's no law school required, but it requires a sort of mentality that's a little like a pirate. You're going after the booty. Now, pirates have always actually felt pretty good about who they are. And one of the things about plaintiff's lawyers is some people really dislike the notion of plaintiff's lawyers. That's very abundant in our society. But if you talk to plaintiff's lawyers, you find out that they feel great about themselves. And I take you through the methodology of how a plaintiff's lawyer thinks about where to get a case, what kind of case to take, what kind of case not to take. But literally, it's harder in some ways to be a plaintiff's lawyer than it is to be a CEO, but it's easier to be a plaintiff's lawyer, and, and, and actually being a plaintiff's lawyer doesn't take that much formal training in any regard, despite the fact that uh, many people think it does. One of the points that I take you through in the chapter is that the very best plaintiff's lawyers have typically not gone to fancy law schools. They've gone to second-tier law schools. Uh, they're not really what I refer to sometimes as pedigree people. They're people that are like a pirate base their success on doing it, not off of some pedigree. And what are some uh, targets that people might be taking a look at uh, that you could win a plaintiff's lawsuit uh, these days? You want some very simple functions. One of the things that you want is you want a form of a plaintiff, uh, whether individual or in a class action, that a jury or a judge will be very empathetic to. So on the one hand... Children injured in any regard are always a marvel for, for plaintiff's law. Secondarily, if you uh, take almost anyone where there's serious physical injury to them, often tied to a drug or a substance, and the more complicated it is, the harder it is to understand, the more 
juries and judges tend to see culpability in bad outcome. And so you really want to focus on areas like drugs that are complicated. But then there's, you know, standby favorites. I mean, any form of uh, feature, even today, uh, we've had only about a million tobacco cases, but tobacco is still a great form for a plaintiff's lawyer of being successful. There's a a universe uh, of people and uh, this is uh, uh, this insider's world that's um, th- th- called the circle of advocates, the inner circle of advocates. And this is a defined universe of elite plaintiff lawyers. And you can actually track these people on the website, see what they've done, and emulate and pattern yourself after them. This is sort of like um, pirates training. Uh, what does a good pirate do? Let me go down to the wharf and watch. So but you're saying sometimes the pirates go too far and can become villains. Well, uh, mind you, uh, unlike the pirate that we're talking about in our analogy, a real pirate's breaking the law all the time. And one of the keys to um, being a good pirate is to know that as a pirate in the legal process, you never break the law yourself. In fact, that's central to all these roads. The worst thing you can do is break the law, end up in jail. That's not a road to riches. That's a road <laughs> to hell. And the fact is, some lawyers, um, most famously, I mean, the most two most famous plaintiff lawyers of uh, the last decade were um, Bill Iraq and um, Melvin Weiss, and they both broke the law in various ways. Both went to jail. Both got banned from law forever. And this is just a classic lesson of don't break the law, which actually is a similar lesson that we get to in the next chapter, which is how you deal with other people's money. Because dealing with other people's money has always been a very successful path to getting wealthy, but it's also a place where some people forget that really all of these paths are aimed at trying to do something that helps someone else in some way. And if you forget that and you get so carried away with your own greed that you break the law, you know, you end up having that come back on you. And that's true for the most part in all these, but I spend a certain amount of time in the other people's money chapter talking about uh, people that have gone from uh, being victorious to being villains in that field. And here, too, um, you know, when you're dealing with other people's money, it's very, very easy to find yourself in jail. Do you think that the current uh, financial crisis and the mortgage subprime mess and all that is going to be uh, a good field for uh, pirates and for plaintiff's lawyers to uh, win some big lawsuits? Uh, I don't think there's any doubt, but that the environment that we've just gone through over the course of the last number of months does two things at once. One, it makes many clients of investment firms of all categories want to look for new vendors, which creates a tremendous opportunity to get business that's looking to flee where it was. Now, let me help you with this another way. If you look at the major wirehouse brokerage firms, the Merrill, the Smith Barneys, uh, former Payne Weber, now UBS, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley's, these people have always, as firms, had a very high turnover of clients, but mostly they go from one to another to another, like a merry-go-round. So the Wachovia client leaves, goes to Morgan Stanley. The Morgan Stanley client leaves, goes to Merrill Lynch. The Merrill Lynch client leaves, goes to Smith Barney. And the clientele stays the chain. But this is a great opportunity to come in from the outside and get initial clientele. Indeed, indeed. Very good. Well, I'm speaking uh, to uh, Ken Fisher, whose new book is called The Ten Roads to Riches, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. 
Again, the website to find out more is 10roadstoriches.com, and his website at his investment firm is fi.com. We'll be back after this. The Bottom Line in Business, Voice America Business. Jordan Goodman has created the Money Answers Network to put at his listeners' fingertips the very best personal finance products and services that he has found in his 30 years of research. If you have a money question, Jordan Goodman has a money answer. To find out more, go to www.moneyanswers.com. The Money Answers Network features top products and services in virtually every area of personal finance, car buying, and leasing, college financing, credit debt, financial planning, investing, insurance, legal services, mortgages, retirement planning, wills, and more. Only businesses that have demonstrated excellence in both their products and services are invited to become members of the Money Answers Network. The public can sign up for membership in the Money Answers Network at no charge in order to be apprised of the latest useful resources. To learn more, visit www.moneyanswers.com. Get ahead with Money Answers. Achieve Total Wealth Management. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, right here on Voice America Business. Three-Dimensional Wealth is a show dedicated to teaching you a value-based approach to comprehensive wealth management through practical strategies and expert advice. Take your first step down the road to financial independence. Listen to Three-Dimensional Wealth with Rory Diefendorf, Mondays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 Eastern, here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. The bottom line in business, Voice America Business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host, and my guest this hour is Ken Fisher, uh, who is the uh, chairman and CEO of Fisher Investments, which uh, manages about $45 billion. His new book is called The Ten Roads to Riches, uh, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Welcome back to the show, Ken. Good to be with you. We were talking about uh, Chapter 7 now, which is OPM, or Other People's uh, Money. Uh, why don't you just briefly tell us some ways that uh, you can use other people's money uh, to become rich yourself? Well, this is the whole realm of simply uh, either selling people a financial product or uh, collecting a fee for providing ongoing services. So this includes banking, it includes brokerage, investment banking, it includes asset management, mutual funds, it includes insurance. One of the rules that I kind of take you through is you've got to pick a business model. And as a general rule, the bigger the category, the more opportunity there is, but the less the opportunity is worth in terms of its valuation and value. So if you're wanting, for example, uh, as I've done in life, start an OPM firm, there's actually more opportunity and more of the people that are mega wealthy through OPM have done it in the smaller niches where they create something successful in the smaller niche that has a high valuation. And I take you through using uh, the website at Morningstar to use public companies to figure out what the relative valuations are of different parts of the OPM world, which you can then also apply to other parts of the world as well. But what you see in this is that the insurance operations aren't worth nearly as much as the brokerage operations, but the brokerage operations being smaller than the insurance, that's the trade-off size versus value. Um, asset management and hedge funds, smaller still, but with higher valuations. So really, in a lot of ways, the 
prime uh, hotspot is to try to work your way into uh, asset management or hedge funds and then start your own firm, which combines two roads. It's using other people's money, and it's also being a form of an entrepreneur or being a ride-along or being a CEO. Do you think that people could start hedge funds even in today's market where there's been so many huge losses and investors wanting to pull their money out of hedge sure. funds and so on? Absolutely. Absolutely, Jordan, because what people do is they – just as I was describing before the break where the people move from brokerage firm to brokerage firm to brokerage firm, people move out of one hedge fund, they move into the next hedge fund. Uh, they get out of the one that they've been disappointed in, and they move to the one uh, that they hope will be good. This is what I sometimes refer to as new car smell. Mm-hmm. The fact is, once they don't like the car they've got, they want to get that new car smell, and there's probably, in a time of this kind of turmoil, more opportunity for starting something new than probably ever before. Yeah. Okay, your eighth chapter is on inventing, and you call it Inventing Income. Uh, how can you become wealthy by being an inventor? Well, the, this is not just a classic inventor that invents a product. Uh, this can be somebody that, uh, uh, for example, I, I distinguish between book writing, which doesn't really make much money, and book writing with the plan to invent an income stream, which is you write a book that's going to be turned into a screenplay, and then it's not just the screenplay, but it's the rights to the auxiliary features that go with the movie that make you the money, like I take you through the examples with Star Wars, how the real money is not as much in the movie as it is in lunch buckets and action figures. And so you create this stream that includes the writing, the sequels, and then the auxiliaries that go with those. But the all-time favorite income inventor in my mind, and people will find this corny, is this guy, Ron Peel, who, you know, he's the guy that when many of us were young, we'd see on TV, uh, he created the original notion of the uh, infomercial, and he developed things like the Vegomatic and the Pocket Fisherman and the Smokeless Ashtray uh, and the Electric Food Dehydrator and the Shell, uh, the uh, Inside the Shell Egg Scrambler, and he'd market the heck out of these things, but he owned all the rights to everything. So as he's marketing the heck out of it, all future sales pay back to him in royalties, and he made himself a very wealthy man. He's not a name that people know on a household basis, but you know everyone's heard of the Vegematic. Uh, you know, there's been comedies done and Saturday Night Live skits done about yes. this guy. But uh, the fact of the matter is, I mean, Dan Aykroyd and Lorraine Newman uh, used to love to do Saturday Night Live skits on his Bassomatic, and. Uh, you know, she used to purr, ooh, that's good bass. But the fact of the matter is this can be a songwriting, uh, this can be movie writing, it can actually be actual inventions, but, but the key to this is really just coming up with something that pays an ongoing revenue stream. So you think there's still lots of opportunity to create things like that? What, that that's a longer uh, time ago to talk about uh, Vegematic. What are some more current things that would fit into this uh, Oh, Denise, Denise Rich, who, you know, nobody kind of knows who Denise Rich is, but she's the former wife of Mark Rich, the fugitive, mm-hmm. that Bill Clinton uh, pardoned. Yes. Uh, pardoned. Uh, she is not a famous person, but she is a phenomenally successful inventor of songs that she markets to a who's who name of uh, female music, uh, singers who then pay her these endless royalties, and her songs end up uh, you know, in movies, which then pay more revenue, and then they end up here and they end up there. And, and you know, she's been very successful and made herself a very wealthy woman simply by being a successful inventor of music that gets sold off into multiple channels. The, the, the real key is owning the rights to the aftermarket 
and then marketing it so that it keeps having a perpetual life of its own. And I guess the and, internet and, makes and that easier. Is endless. The internet actually makes that easier as far as the proliferation of media that you're much easier. Much easier to be used in. Yes. Okay, I want to uh, go to Chapter 9, which is uh, trumping the land barons, and this is how to become rich in real estate. Now, people would think that real estate's the last place you want to be with the credit crunch and what's going on now. Uh, what would you be of real estate quite, to, today? Quite the contrary, because what you have right now, now you want to stay away from a lot of types of real estate, but it's always been true that the people that made the most money in real estate did it by finding beaten-down properties that, in and of themselves, if they were full would be generating income, but because they're having very high vacancy rates or they're largely empty, they're not worth very much. Usually these properties will have a certain amount of deferred maintenance and a certain uh, lackluster quality to them, but the key is to figure out, like you were a finder or a broker, how to put together the ownership of the building with something from the outside that fills them up. And I take you through a number of examples of people doing this. And then you take something that's 40% full, 60% vacant, up to 85% full, 15% vacant, and you can turn around and go to any standard lender and borrow everything you put into it and more back. The key is improve it a little, make ugly a little pretty, and have some way that you've planned before you bought it to fill it up. It's the filling of it up that actually creates the wealth. It's the ability to actually take this potential revenue stream, actualize it, and then grab on to the net present value of it and take the money back out and more from a bank loan, turn around and do the next one. So this is actually the way the most successful people in real estate have ever done it. They don't buy raw land. They don't buy houses. They might buy, as a starting place, small, beat-up residential apartment units, which have a low uh, occupancy rates and a certain amount of deferred maintenance, you come in, you don't have any money at all, you find a partner, you're the general partner, they're the limited partner, they put up the money, you fix the place up. You also have some concept you've uh, pulled in, and a really great place to do this is in growing areas that are under recession uh, that are maybe linked to university where you have uh, regular flows of university students and faculty that need housing. Uh, you take a sow's ear, you turn it into a silk purse, and in 12 months you can take something that was a money loser for the prior owner and turn it into something that more than pays for everything you put into it and gives you more money to go do the next deal. One of, one of the favorite places that I'd be doing this right now, if I could, uh, was be to focus on places like Nevada, where Nevada's been very hard hit in this downturn. But if you focus around the University of Nevada, you'll find a world that's going to be stable, yet Nevada keeps growing tremendously as people flee over the border from California and all of its problems, making Nevada the fastest-growing state in the country. So this is a matter of, as is always true, with uh, real estate location, location, location. We've got about a minute to go. Uh, quickly, Chapter 10 is called The Road More Traveled. Why don't you just briefly kind of sum up what that one's about? And, and this one's really easy to do and really fast. This is the one that everybody else writes about. This is the one that everybody else talks about. This is save, be frugal, keep your costs down, invest well. In the long term, you'll be rich through the power of compound interest. And that is 100% correct. Jordan, you have, I mean, going back to your days at Money Magazine, you have written about this road endlessly. It's the road that many people can envision, so many people do it, and it's a perfectly valid road. Uh, and for many people, it's the only road they'll ever take, and it works, but it's a matter of be frugal, 
keep your cost down, invest well, stick to it. The other nine roads that I describe really are not about frugality. Frugality is okay. It's not necessary in those other roads. This is one where you really have to be frugal if you want to get there this way, and you have to build your little nest egg. Well, thanks so much, Ken. We went through all ten roads. Uh, again, if you want to find out more about Ken's book, it's called The Ten Roads to Riches, The Ways the Wealthy Got There and How You Can Too. Uh, the website is 10roadstoriches.com. His own website for his money management firm is fi.com. Thanks. It's really been fascinating. I think you've given people a lot of hope in a kind of d- dismal situation right now. There are, are ways to do well, Ken. Thanks for having me, Jordan. And thanks you f- uh, for listening. We'll be back again next week. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. The Internet's only all-business and financial radio network, Voice America Business. 